Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Welcome. My name is Caroline Moasasi, and I'm FACT's Roundtable podcast host. I'm honored to take on this role with FACT, as I'm also a passionate allergy and asthma advocate on the national and international level, a parent of children with food allergies, and the founder of GratefulFoodie.com. We are speaking to Bob Parker, the president and CEO of the National Peanut Board, to learn more about his organization and their role in the food allergy community. Bob Parker joined the National Peanut Board, a farmer-funded research, marketing, and promotion organization based in Atlanta, Georgia, as its president and CEO in 2012. At the National Peanut Board, he is focused on the mission of improving the economic condition of America's peanut farmers and their families. Those efforts have been centered around promoting the increased consumption of U.S.-grown peanuts domestically and internationally, addressing barriers to consumption such as peanut allergy and supporting production research to make peanut farmers more productive, efficient, and sustainable. The 2020 peanut crop is the 44th of Parker's professional career, although he's been around peanuts his entire life. He has a broad range of experience in peanuts and agriculture, both domestically and internationally, from growing, processing, public policy, and marketing. Parker is a graduate of the University of Georgia with a degree in agricultural economics. Well, welcome, Bob. Thank you for being with us today. I know you're super busy, so we really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Caroline. Well, we're going to jump right in. So for any listeners who are not familiar with the National Peanut Board, can you explain the history of your organization? Yes, I would be glad to. We were formed in the year 2000 at a time when consumption of peanuts was declining at an alarming rate. There was a 1996 federal act that allowed farmers of a commodity to come together and form an organization for research, marketing, and promotion. And peanut farmers at the time felt that they needed to try to turn turn around the decline in peanut consumption and form the National Peanut Board. It was um, first seated in, in the year 2000. It's totally farmer-funded and it's farmer-governed. All of the board members of the board are peanut farmers from uh, various peanut producing states in the United States. They voted to assess themselves a small amount uh, of money per ton for every ton produced. And they have to vote every five years to continue the program. And we are uh, guided by and overseen by USDA. The Secretary of Agriculture actually makes the appointments to our board after nominations from the various states. Our mission is to improve the economic condition of peanut farmers in America and their families. And we do that through uh, trying to increase consumption of peanuts, uh, to try to increase markets and, and, um, and sales of peanuts. 
We also fund production research at various state public universities to try to help farmers become more productive uh, with higher yields, but also become more efficient by reducing costs, by reducing, uh, for example, uh, the pesticides that have to be used on the peanut crop, which not only reduces cost, but makes peanuts more sustainable. Well, thank you, Bob. That was really fascinating to learn that the USDA oversees your board. So if someone does want to join your board, how do they go about doing that? Someone wanted to join our board, they would have to be nominated by their state grower association. And that information or that nomination would be submitted to the Secretary of Agriculture and he would, or she would make the appointment to participate in the National Peanut Board. All one has to do is, is produce peanuts and market those peanuts. And when they're sold, a uh, $3.55 per ton assessment is deducted from their sale. And that money goes to fund our programs. And we have an annual budget of about $10 million. Wow, it sounds like you're a very busy organization. Now, I understand that you have a grandchild with food allergies. How has that diagnosed impact your life's work? You know, at first, I couldn't believe it. Of all people to have a grandson allergic to peanuts, who would ever imagine it would be the president and CEO of the National Peanut Board? Yeah, that is pretty funny, actually, or ironic. You know, and and what is done now, though, is I've lived both sides of the equation, and I do understand how those with family members, with children or grandchildren or themselves, uh, feel in dealing with a, a food allergy. And it's helped me a lot in my professional career and, and helping to guide our program in food allergy. And I've seen some of the pitfalls that I think families run into. At first, my daughter was told by the doctor after my grandson failed a skin test and a blood test, let's go a year, let's avoid peanuts and certain tree nuts and come back and see me in a year. I asked my daughter, did he not tell you to get a food challenge? And she said, no. He said, wait a year. And I said, you have to get a food challenge if you can find someone. And fortunately, they live in North Carolina, and they live near one of the top food allergy research programs in the world, for that matter, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And so they uh, enrolled my grandson in, in the uh, actually they, they took my grandson to Chapel Hill. He was evaluated. He failed a food challenge to peanuts and later to some other tree nuts and was enrolled in a research program uh, that was looking at oral immunotherapy. That gave me an opportunity as a grandfather to go with my daughter to some of his appointments to uh, also see firsthand what it's like for her, what, what it was like for him, the uh, the absolute terror that he went through when he had to have blood drawn, for example, and what it was like to see him when he was dealing with reactions in a food challenge. I wasn't there when he had one of his bad reactions, but I saw photos and 
was on pins and needles until he uh, recovered. So it's given me a really broad perspective on uh, on how things work and what people are going through. And I think I think it's allowed uh, people in the food allergy community to maybe trust me a little more because of that situation. Well, you know, Bob, I'm sorry you're a member of our tribe, but I really do appreciate that you're able to take that very personal experience and then translate that into your business life and what you're trying to do with the peanut farmers. It's really important. This leads me into my next question for you, Bob. The National Peanut Board has invested $32 million towards food allergy research, outreach, and education. That is quite a bit of money. Can you share some of the initiatives that you have helped fund? Sure. We have a long history of supporting food allergy research and outreach and education. And there are a couple of uh, research projects that we take a lot of pride in. If you are aware recently of the uh, approval by FDA of a product called Pyphorzia for, for oral immunotherapy for peanut allergy, we were one of the early funders of Dr. Wesley Burks when he was still at the University of Arkansas. We gave him some seed money and he was able to take a small research project that he parlayed into what became a very massive project and led to the world's first peanut allergy drug, technically speaking, for oral immunotherapy. Another study that we helped fund early in the very early days was the LEAP study led by Dr. Gideon Lack in London, England, learning early about peanut allergy uh, that led to a total change in guidance on introducing peanuts to infants and children. Dr. Lack says that uh, without our funding, of a, actually a small study, he could not have had the, the results to demonstrate potential for early introduction of peanut protein that led to huge funding from the U.S. National Institutes of Health and its counterpart in, in the United Kingdom that eventually led to the LEAP study. Bob, thank you so much for sharing your very impactful funding. It sounds like you were one of those first cogs in a wheel or, or maybe the first person to knock over a domino to help find solutions, but I can see how the National Peanut Board was right there at the very beginning. It's very fascinating to learn this right now. So based on that, do the farmers know about your food allergy work? I mean, I know the farmers are on your board and they've all come together, but are the farmers aware of what you're doing and the impact of what you're doing on our whole society? The members of our board seem to take more pride in our food allergy research than probably anything we do because they, of course, recognize the importance of, of food allergies and it being one of the largest barriers, it is it is the largest barrier to consumption of peanuts. But they really believe that they're doing good and that they're helping people with the work we're doing. And as I go out into the community of peanut farmers in the various states, and I try to go to as many farmer meetings as I can, 
that's one of the things I hear the most about is thank you for what you're doing in the area of peanut allergy. That means a lot to us because we see it as a problem. Our farmers take a lot of pride in producing a nutritious, wholesome, and delicious food product. And it really bothers them that even one person can be harmed by eating the product that they take so much pride in producing. And not surprisingly, we have some peanut farmers who have children and grandchildren with peanut allergies. And so uh, in some cases, they have a personal interest. You know, it's very heartwarming to hear about how the farmers are also involved in the food allergy community. Bob, do you have any personal farmer stories? I do have a story about a former board chair, Dee Dee Darden from Virginia. Dee Dee was in London for a conference and had heard about Gideon Lack and Gideon Lack being one of the top food allergy researchers in the world. And she decided she was going to go to St. Thomas Hospital and meet Dr. Gideon Lack without an appointment. Um, prompted, she shows up at his office. And he says he gets a call from his secretary that there's this lady, a peanut farmer from Virginia in the United States that wants to see him. And he said, I'm very busy. I don't have time to see anybody today. And so the secretary said, I will tell her. But a while later, the secretary calls Dr. Lack again and says, Mrs. Darden says she's not leaving until you meet with her. And so he did. And she said, peanut allergy is a major problem for us in the United States. And we hear you're the best in food allergy. And we want to know what we can do to help you do something about it. And he said, you know, there is something. I have a study that I have been trying to raise money for on early introduction to prevent food allergy and peanut allergy. And I haven't been able to get any funding. She said, well, how much money do you need? And he told her. And he said, well, perhaps you could go back to your food allergy committee and run this by them. She said, I am the food allergy committee and it's approved. And so that's how our, our uh, board began working with Dr. Lack and uh, what eventually led to the LEAP study. That is an incredible story, Bob. I have not heard that and just appreciate you sharing that. I just love the, the gumption and the passion of that farmer. And, and I think it also goes to show everybody, you know, it just starts with one person, right? One person, one idea, and then you get the ball rolling and then all the parts start coming in. So thank you so much for sharing that. That actually gave me a little goosebumps here. So now, since we know you're committed to research and awareness, can you share any current food allergy related initiatives or projects in the pipeline? Well, we're we're focusing a lot of our efforts on early introduction, Caroline, because we think there's nothing more important than prevention right now. We don't have anything more concrete than early introduction. We don't have a cure. We have oral immunotherapy that shows promise and I think will uh, desensitize many people with a peanut allergy 
and improve their quality of life. They can remove some of the fear factor from possible accidental ingestion. So early introduction awareness is where we're putting a lot of our money. We actually diverted money in the last couple of years away from promotion to uh, to early introduction awareness, trying to reach consumers, trying to reach young parents, but also trying to reach healthcare professionals, especially pediatricians, because we're seeing some resistance from pediatricians who feel like they want to take a more conservative approach. And we think that the more conservative approach is to introduce early between four and six months, as soon as a child can tolerate solid foods. And we're still struggling to get buy-in from doctors. And if we don't have buy-in totally from doctors, then we don't have buy-in from families. Another area of of concern and an area that we're working on is in diagnostics. We are concerned that we rely on skin tests and blood tests too much. And we also have concerns that people, that certain healthcare practitioners are using blood tests indiscriminately in some cases without follow-up with food challenges. And in some cases, diagnosing people with food allergies that they actually do not have. Talking to doctors, to allergists, I had one allergist in a major city tell me that I would be amazed at the number of upper middle class children in his city that are, that are malnourished because they're avoiding so many foods based on a blood test or a blood panel test and he spends a lot of his time with patients just trying to unwind and detangle these erroneous tests for these children who aren't even allergic to these foods. And the scary thing is, if they avoid those foods long enough and they're sensitized, they could eventually develop allergies. So we're trying to come up with a diagnostic tool that will be conclusive and will tell someone not if they're sensitive to a food, but if they will react to that food. And funding up for that, we're certainly excited too about immunotherapy. And that's not just the oral type, but also epicutaneous therapy. There's a peanut patch that's under development that may be approved by FDA within the next year. Uh, but we already have an oral immunotherapy product. And for many families that are ultra stressed with the fear of accidental ingestion, this may be a route that they want to consider. Sounds like the peanut board has been busy these last few years. And it looks like moving forward, your vision is very strong. So thank you, Bob, for sharing all of the work that you've been doing in terms of research and awareness and just keeping the ball moving forward. I think this is going to be very interesting to many of our listeners. Is there anything else you would like to add to today's conversation? Well, I just want to talk a little more about our work in early introduction. Uh, If we had a pill that could prevent over 80% of peanut allergies from developing, we would call that a miracle drug. And we have that pill. We have that uh, product, and it's the peanut itself. We have 4 million live births 
in the United States each year. And at the current rate of prevalence for peanut allergy in small children of two to two and a half percent, which is alarming because not many years ago it was one percent. But now we're seeing two to two and a half percent prevalence rate on peanuts. That would mean without some sort of intervention that 80 to 100,000 of those children are going to develop a peanut allergy by the time they're five years of age. We have an opportunity to drop that number to somewhere around 10 to 20,000. That's too many, but that's still a huge number, over 80% reduction. And these children will hopefully become peanut eaters. We acknowledge that. But we think even if they don't, just think about the impact this is going to have on their lives and on their families and how it's going to improve their lives and maybe even save their lives. So that's why we're so committed to that area of early introduction. And we're going to continue to devote a lot of our resources to that area. Well, your passion, your farmer's passion is just amazing and incredible. You shared some fascinating information today that I know I've never heard before, and I'm sure our listeners are going to appreciate it. I believe it's safe for me to say that everyone is excited to see your passion and to see your work going on as we all come together and we all do our part. So thank you very much, Bob, for your time today. We appreciated having you here and look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Caroline, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes and be sure to connect with us on social media. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.